You're listening to Comedy Central. The pandemic recession has hit many people hard, but it's hit one group especially hard. Desi Lydic has more. The COVID-19 pandemic has ravaged the U.S. economy with millions out of work. And much like underwire and microblading, it's disproportionately hurting women. Economist Olga Shirkoff told me why. Since uh, February 2020, about two and a half million women left the workforce. Two and a half million. That's right. 80% of net job losses. Wow, even when it comes to unemployment, women are overachieving. For decades, women have been chipping away at the glass ceiling, joining the labor force in greater numbers with each year, until the pandemic, which has reduced the percentage of working women to 1988 levels. The question is, why is this happening? Well, my interview with Dr. Darushana Mathalingam provided one compelling reason why. The pandemic is one of the reasons that I just needed to step back from my research. We lost childcare for several months. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, I, I couldn't quite hear. There was a bit of a, like, a, something in the background. Um, that's my three-year-old son with a, a Lego train car. <laughs> so, sorry, hold on. No, it's, it's my, I think it's my background. Is that the trash compactor? It, there better not be any Ninjagos in there. There were Ninjagos in there. And thanks to school closures and childcare disruptions, mothers are stepping back from the workforce in large numbers, and not because they want to. I think we really need to move away from this idea of personal choice. Like, if you have to choose between bringing home a paycheck to feed your family and, you know, avoiding a deadly disease, that's not a choice. No, it's, it's not. And it doesn't matter if you're young, old, black, white, or that slick bitch in the next apartment that keeps eyeing my husband. This affects you. My research has been focused on infectious disease and incarcerated populations. And, and so I was looking at sort of how can we improve testing and support for these individuals who are very vulnerable to getting infected. So you were researching COVID and you had to take a step back? Yeah, I mean, it was a very difficult decision. God, think of all that you could have accomplished in this past year if you had full-time COVID-safe childcare. Like, I know for me, I just know I would have been able to finish my one-woman show from home. Homelton. My whole life is in this room where it happens, this room where it happens, this room where it happens. Yeah. Art is important. So millions of women have just spent a year stuck at home. We're workshopping our dream projects with our kids instead of with audiences or producers. And much like a stoned Elon Musk tweet, this could affect the whole economy. Women leaving the workforce means that these women are now losing the skills that they had and becoming less productive. And so that could affect actually um, the entire economy and economic growth for years to come. Even women who are still working are experiencing sort of hidden burdens that they're doing this dual role. Can you have they, a snack? No, no, you can't have a snack. You just ate, can't have a snack. They w have to work and at the same time take care of their children. And so there are also mental health repercussions. Something's got to give. Hey babe, can he have a snack? No, he can't, no, he can't have a snack. So how do we fix this before moms across America just lose it? Asking for a friend. I can have a snack. No, you can't. Yeah, you know what? F it. Have a snack. Have a snack. Have all the snacks. Dr. Shurchkoff says it's going to take a lot of work. COVID-19 highlighted and exacerbated long-standing structural gender 
and racial and ethnic gaps that need to be addressed. And not to mention women, I think, have learned. Yes. Oh my goodness. Do you want me to Google? We're looking up a Pokemon, (laughs) which is my other new PhD level area of expertise. Um, So where was I? Yes, if we would like to see things get better, we need institutions, policymakers to pay attention to childcare and expand access to childcare. Shoot, I had a question off of that, actually. Sorry, maybe my producer, Sarah, the question off of the um, women. I definitely have it written down in here. I remember when we came up with that question. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. But yeah, you got your hands full. It's okay. Oh boy. Okay. I actually I come prepared. Mommy's working. Well, one thing is certain. The pandemic has shown us that the system is broken and women need institutional support. Something has to be done. Probably by someone who doesn't have kids at home. March Madness. It's the most fun way to gamble away your stimmy. This year's tournament has already seen its fair share of upsets, like Oral Roberts making it to the Sweet 16, and I'm guessing from its name, also third base. But the biggest shock of the tournament so far didn't happen on the court, it happened in the weight room. The NCAA is apologizing after being criticized for the stark difference in the fitness facilities provided to the men and the women competing in the college basketball tournaments. Oregon's Sedona Prince gave us a glimpse of the weight room differences in a social media video last Thursday. So for the NCAA March Madness, the biggest tournament in college basketball for women, this is our weight room. Let me show you all the men's weight room. As you can see, the men were provided with a lot more equipment than the women. It did not take long for the NCAA to make changes, though. By Saturday, the NCAA sharing the new setup for the women. Prince thanking everyone who helped. Guess what, guys? We got a weight room, yeah! Damn, that's ice cold. Because that's not a weight room. That's just the rack of weights that you buy in the beginning of quarantine and then never use. And honestly, this is surprising because usually the NCAA treats male and female athletes equally. I mean, they definitely pay them both the same amount. But to be fair, at least the NCAA made it right. After the uproar, they gave the women the same amenities that the men's weight room has. More machines, more weights, and they even added the guy who always makes way too much noise when he's lifting. This is how you know that I'm strong. (laughs) Now, it was upsetting enough when people saw the difference in men's and women's weight rooms, but it turns out that sexism in the NCAA is a lot like Facetune. Once you're aware of it, you start noticing it everywhere. But it's not just the weight room. The COVID tests, different for the men's tournament, the more accurate PCR tests. At the women's, antigen tests. Another complaint, a quick look at the official March Madness Twitter account. The bio reads, the official NCAA March Madness destination for all things Division I NCAA men's basketball. 
no mention of the women's tournament. The men have been provided with a brand new NCAA court with March Madness, the huge logo in the middle, where on the women's court, you're going to still see two lines for the men's line and the women's line for three-point shots. There's a volleyball court on one of the courts. It doesn't even look like an NCAA game. There are differences in food options for the men's and women's teams, as well as the difference in gift bags given to players. The men were given a large number of custom items designed for March Madness, while the women's had a few generic items, including a 150-piece puzzle and a towel that said NCAA Women's Basketball Plus an umbrella. A puzzle? Yo, that is a trash gift. And what's even worse is when you complete it, it shows a picture of the men's team enjoying a free steak dinner. Seriously, how are you gonna give the players a puzzle that is not swag, people? When you look at all of this together, the differences are so stark, it almost seems less like sexism and more like the NCAA didn't even know that the women were coming, you know? It's so bad, it's almost like the women were knocking on the door and the NCAA was just scrambling. Oh shit, the ladies are here. Do we, do we have anything to give them? Uh, I ordered a burger for lunch. Okay, it'll work. Just chop it up and save sliders. What, what else, do we have swag? Uh, I think there's an umbrella in the closet. Yeah, it'll work, it'll work, it'll work. So, clearly casual sexism has pervaded almost every aspect of the player experience at this tournament. But it's not just a problem for the players. It's also affecting the coaches. There was also an article in The Athletic this morning about some of the female coaches uh, who are working in the tournament and how the NCAA is basically penalizing them and their teams if they have, say, a baby who depends on them for food. That baby counts inside the bubble against the total <laughs> that they can bring in. So that per coach's team, if they want to feed their child, has to have one less athletic trainer, one less other coach, one less person in the traveling party. Ridiculous. Okay, now that, that is positively ridiculous. No one should be punished for having children. The children are already punishment enough. Not to mention, asking a coach to choose between her baby and a trainer for the team? I mean, that's a really great way to get the rest of the team to hate that baby. I mean, you could be getting deep tissue massages right now if it wasn't for little Derek. <coughs> now, I don't know why this seems so hard, but there's an obvious solution here. All you should do is have the baby be the assistant coach. After all, a crying baby can be very motivational. Uh, what do you want? A, a blanket? A bottle? Do you, you, you want me to win the tournament? Is that it? Okay, I'll win the tournament. Just please take a nap, take a nap, just take a nap. Oh, oh stop crying. The fact is, the way that the women have been treated during this tournament has been disgraceful. I mean, the only silver lining is that it's made the NCAA's favoritism towards male athletes as blatant and impossible to ignore as that one guy in the gym. Does anyone want to date me now? The 80 cent wage gap is the average of all the money earned by men versus all the money earned by women. If you adjust for race and ethnicity, it can get wider. On the other hand, if you adjust for employees being paid hourly, it can get narrower. So the exact number is really hard to pin down. It's like splitting a check after a bachelorette dinner. Look, I assume those vodka bottles were complimentary, so I shouldn't have to pay for them, Elizabeth. But experts agree the wage gap is real. And if we want to fix it, we need to understand it. So let's start with the good news. It's actually illegal to pay women less money for the same work. In spite of that, women still need to fight for equal pay. 
Earlier this year, the U.S. women's soccer team filed a lawsuit claiming that they're paid less than the male team. Even though, as they claim in the suit, the women's team has played more World Cup games, generated more profit, and had a larger audience. Also, compared to the women's team, and I cannot stress this enough, the U.S. male team sucks, you guys. It really sucks. In 2018, they didn't even qualify. Meanwhile, the women are out there meddling every time and winning the whole damn World Cup. Look, if they're gonna bring glory to our nation, they shouldn't have to pawn the trophy to get paid. So for the women's national soccer team, equal pay is their goal. No, that that's not right. You know what? I'm just gonna let their all-time leading scorer say it. Abby? Equal pay is our goal! Much better. So if that's the struggle for world-class athletes, you know the wage gap is even more challenging for everyday women. Let's talk about why. The major component is what economists call lifestyle choices, like starting a family, which is why the wage gap is higher for women who have kids and lower for women who never get married. This is what's called the motherhood penalty, which could also be the name of a J-Lo movie where a judge sentences her to take care of someone else's kids, all while keeping her food truck afloat and taking care of her blind mother. Totally see that, by the way. But in reality, the motherhood penalty is a long-term financial hit a woman takes after leaving a job or going part-time to raise her children. Now, those women earn an average of 39% less than men, as if I didn't deal with enough shit when I was pregnant. Now, a cold-hearted economist might say, What does the free market care? Why should you get paid for taking time off? Well, sir. Ow! Mother <sighs> What does the free market care? We are literally birthing the economy's future customers. Who's gonna buy stocks and cars and jeans if there are no people left? Trees? Trees wouldn't be caught dead in denim. <gasps> and remember, having children is a lifestyle choice that men also make. The only differences are, one, a baby doesn't squeeze its way out of their dick, and two, a man's income statistically increases after he has a baby, which I guess should be called the fatherhood bonus, which would also be the sequel to that J-Lo movie starring Gerard Butler, which I would also see, but enjoy less. Fortunately, there's some ways to offset the motherhood penalty and close the wage gap. Flexible work hours, affordable childcare, and a national policy of parental leave. Because America's the only industrialized country with no policy of paid family leave. That's right, we put a man on the moon, but we can't spare anything to put a mother in a nursery. I'm kidding. They faked the moon landing. Have you not been paying attention to this wet-ass pussy controversy? Oh, you mean like why Kylie Jenner was in the video? No, ain't nobody talking about that goofy ass girl, you silly man. No, I'm not talking about the song. I'm talking about why people are talking about the song. Cardi B and Macon D. Stallion have given us a sex-positive song of the summer, celebrating women owning their sexuality, something men have been doing since Adam ate that apple in the Garden of Eden and got his first boner. Uh... You'll say, I don't remember that part in the Bible. The point is, male musicians talk about sex all the time, talking about their hard dicks and skeeting everywhere. But when women do it, people are like, this is vulgar, inappropriate. What about the children that look up to them? Who cares about them damn children? Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are not your nannies. I know it's confusing. You see two women of color in a really nice house, and you assume Aiden and McKenzie are just off screen with their Mandarin tutor. But it's a huge double standard, Trevor. Okay, Dulce, but to play devil's advocate, you have to admit, it's a really graphic song. Trevor, only in a repressed patriarchal society would people consider a woman's pleasure graphic. 
men don't have to censor their pleasure. Drake and Bruno Mars can sing about eating pussy and getting hard, but they still get invited to Thanksgiving dinner. But if Cardi B does it, she's a slut who's taken down society. Well, you, you know, there is another thing. I mean, there's something about rap that as soon as some white people hear it, it sounds graphic, you know? Just, just because it's rap. Like, I could be like, it's really cool to stay in school. And then some white people would be like, whoa, 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 calm down, sir. You know, so there's always a chance that the problem wasn't the message as much as the fact that it's hip hop. Okay, first of all, don't ever do that again. Listen, that was offensive for a whole different reason. No, no, I, w- I was just trying to show like, like when you say something with the flow, how it goes. No, 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 Whatever it was, stop, okay? The point is we don't live in a society that's comfortable with women claiming their sexuality. It doesn't matter if it's rap or country. Black women, we gave you Oprah, Beyonce, and all your favorite reaction memes. I've heard people say they like their women like they like their coffee. Strong, black, and hot enough to give you second degree burns. Careful what you wish for, Darius. But the thing is, not all black women are strong. And even the ones that are strong aren't just that. We like doors open for us too, especially with someone with biceps like Michael B. Jordan, abs like Michael B. Jordan, hair like Michael B. Jordan. But unfortunately, the strong black woman stereotype is ingrained in American culture. It has a long history, about as old as Morgan Freeman and Betty White combined. Now you may be wondering, what is a strong black woman? It's the idea that black women are emotionally resilient, naturally selfless, too proud to ask for help, and can succeed with no resources. So basically every character played by Viola Davis. The irony is the strong black woman stereotype was started by black women to combat all the negative ones. See, in the aftermath of slavery, there were really only two stereotypes of black women. You were either some sex temptress Jezebel or a mammy who was just there to smother people in her booze. In response, black suffragette Mary Church Terrell coined the strong black woman motto, lifting as we climb. And I get what she was going for, but lift as we climb? Even bodybuilders don't do both at the same time. You can't expect a black woman to do more than Schwarzenegger in his prime. But over time, society shrank a black woman down to just her strength. And the popular conception now is that black women can bear and overcome any birth. We see it all over our culture. In movies like The Color Purple. Oh my life, I had to fight. And how can we forget ghosts? where Whoopi Goldberg literally has to let a white man use her body to rub foreheads with his fiance. Even when black women only have one line, it's strong as hell. Move, or you will be moved. Damn, at least let her say hello. But Dulce, what's wrong with being perceived as strong? Isn't it a good thing? No, not if black women destroy their mental and physical health trying to live up to it. And not if people think black women are so strong, they make them do all the work on their own. Look at Stacey Abrams. She helped Democrats win Georgia. And before you knew it, she was being asked to fix vaccine distribution, the New York subway, and Kim and Kanye's marriage. The stereotype even reaches the doctor's office. Black women are less likely to be properly diagnosed. They have a much higher maternal mortality rate. And they're less likely to be believed about their symptoms and pain. So a black woman basically has to be a doctor to know everything that's going on with her body 
and then convince another doctor that that's what's happening. I was in a car accident. I have contusions, lacerations, and internal bleeding. Uh, get me a morphine drip and prep surgery stat. We'll get you a couple band-aids and you'll be fine. What? So, the next time you see a black woman struggling at work or trying to lift a box, help her. Don't just stand there like you're about to see Wonder Woman in action. In fact, if you're in the New York area, I'm moving this week and I could use some help moving my couch. Cause I'll be damned if I'm gonna pull my back lifting my own couch. For many women, every time they leave the house, it's a risk. And this is not something that men experience. Like when the pandemic hit, men were like, so just going outside is dangerous now? And women are like, yeah, add it to the list. And that risk of violence is why women are forced to constantly check up on each other to make sure that everyone gets home okay. It's become a normal part of women's routines. Get home, brush your teeth, put on some PJs, and then text your friends a picture of you holding today's newspaper to prove that you're still alive. And that sucks for women on multiple levels because sometimes a woman forgets to send the text and accidentally falls asleep. And by the time she wakes up, there's sniffer dogs looking for her and find Jessica is trending on Twitter. And the truth is, even if women know they will get home safely most times, they never know which is the time that they won't. Because for women, just being out in public means facing a wide array of potential threats from men. People don't just wake up one day and murder somebody. Um, they are taught from an early age that there is a power difference between men and women and that it is okay to use certain language, certain behavior. And they progress from catcalling and groping. 96% of women, 40 and younger, reported being harassed on the street in the past year. Are you dressed the way you are? I'm dressed for work. These are my professional clothes. I've been followed home. I've been stopped. I've had guys try to sexually harass me. I was catcalled probably for the very first time, um, probably 11 or 12. And you have 30 seconds that young to work out, uh, if I say no to this person, mm. are they gonna be okay with that? Or are they gonna start yelling at me? Yeah, that's a terrifying thing to have to deal with. Women never know what a catcall might lead to, since that person already has the audacity to start shouting at them on the street. I mean, it's like the guy at the buffet who starts grabbing rice with his bare hands. Yo, that person is clearly capable of anything. This is why so many women wear headphones when they're walking down the street. You think they're all listening to your podcast? No. Half of them are just pretending to listen to something so when a man cat calls them, they can act like they didn't hear it. And the other half would never listen to your podcast anyway. Oh, you talk about sports with a mix of pop culture? <gasps> Revolutionary. So. Women basically have to tiptoe around the outside world like it's the quiet place, which is why they leave the house onto the teeth in case, just in case, they get noticed by the monster. Too many of us have clutched our keys in our fists in case we need to defend ourselves. I now have a panic alarm, which is part of my life now. On my keys, on my keychain for my car, I have a mini mace. Camila Parker packs up bags for her business. She started to give women a layer of safety that fits into a purse. The self-defense bags have a taser, an alarm, and pepper spray. Every woman you know has taken a longer route, has doubled back on herself, has pretended to dawdle by a shop window. I walk in the middle of the road and I did tell my daughters to do this. That is a safe place. God damn. 
it's safer in the middle of the road? Yo, how bad do men have to be for women to be like, uh, I'll take my chances with an 18-wheeler. At least it won't tell me to smile. And I never want to hear anyone talk shit about women's giant purses again, like ever again. Look at all the shit that they have to bring with them just to stay safe. They got tasers, they got mini mace sprays on their keychains. What do men have on our keychains, huh? Bottle openers. I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. Women don't know when they're gonna be attacked and men don't know when they're gonna be surprised with a tailgate. You gotta be careful, bro. There's brewskis around like every corner. <gasps> but the solution here isn't to load up women with weapons and gadgets like a human Swiss army knife. In fact, the solution doesn't really have anything to do with women at all. The burden has been placed on us to stay safe rather than compelling men to change their behavior. We are finding these comments on social media about why was so-and-so going out at night? Why was she on her own? Why was she dressed like that? Why was she, uh, why had she had a drink? You know, seeking to blame the woman for the fact that she's been attacked. The mainstream conversation about um, the subject uses passive voice all over the place. There's no active agent. Nobody's doing it to them. They're just experiencing it. That immediately frames the entire debate as if it's your problem as a woman. We are the culprits here. Whether we like it or not, this is about men. And we have to deal with that fact. And we can't even start to have that debate unless we start to reframe it with men at the center of it. That's right. The conversation needs to be reframed because this is not about what else women can do. You can't solve violence against women without addressing the men committing it. It would be like trying to address gun violence without restricting access to guns. I mean, that would be so crazy. Like, who would be that stupid to think that you could stop gun violence without trying to stop access to guns? And I know right now, a lot of guys are watching this going, yo, Trevor, I don't murder women. First of all, congratulations. But second of all, understand that there's more to it than that, all right? As men, we often act in ways that we think are totally appropriate because we know that we would never do anything wrong. But understand, the woman doesn't know you. She doesn't know that, right? You, you, so it's easier for you to just not do those things. Like, you might think you're innocently complimenting a stranger's outfit in a parking lot, but unless you're Christian Siriano, she doesn't need to hear that from you. We should also be teaching the next generation of men to respect women and be aware of their experiences. And we should stop them as early as possible. Like, as soon as they're done nursing, their eyes have to be here. But aside from children, we have a responsibility to teach each other. Like, as men, maybe we should start checking in with our friends like women do. Only, in our case, it'll be a little different. Hey, man, did you make it home safely without harassing any women? All right, great. Good to know. Love you. I mean, go Packers! Look, the point is, as men, we should be steering this conversation to where it belongs, centered on us, because this is our responsibility not to be creeps, all right? So let's not make it the one thing that we don't take credit for. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 